are so excited that you're here with us today, and uh, welcome to Redeemer Church's first ever Resurrection Sunday. So this is great. It is awesome. It is amazing. It is awe-inspiring to see everything that the Lord has done in just a mere seven months through his church, Redeemer Church. And we're just so excited that you're here today, especially if you're visiting with us as a first-time guest. And uh, just FYI, this is not the normal attire, so the suit coat. So uh, it's, it's Easter, folks. So I thought I'd spiff it up a little bit. No, I do not have a wedding I have to officiate after this. But, um, but we're just so excited that you're with us today, uh, truly. This is kind of the Super Bowl as far as uh, all Sundays are concerned, right? As far as uh, this is the day on the calendar that as a church you look at. It is the culmination of 40 days of Lent. If you participate in that, that leads into Holy Week or Passion Week, and then we kick that off with Palm Sunday. We had our Good Friday services. Maybe next year we'll throw in a Maundy Thursday or what have you, but this is the day that we circle on the calendar as far as it being what we do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And this is what makes this day so special. This is the reason that we are all here. This is the reason that we are celebrating uh, today. So we see in John eleven twenty five. Jesus tells Martha, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do we as a church believe this? Why are we here today? Why are you here today? Because Jesus Christ, he came, the perfect, the sinless, the blameless lamb of God. And he laid down his life on the cross. He took the cup, bore the weight of our sins, endured the wrath of God so that we may be saved. And three days later on this day, God rose him from the dead. And he rose victoriously, conquering sin and death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? In Colossians, it states that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus states, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I hold the keys to death in Hades. He did everything he said he was going to. To do. He fulfilled the law and, and the prophets. He, he rose victoriously and in that he delivered us. He delivered us from darkness. He delivered us from an eternity in hell. And he delivered us into the marvelous light of salvation. The marvelous light that we can spend eternity with him. And today, this is why we're here. Today we celebrate the resurrection. He is not here. He is risen. The resurrection is the Mount Everest of our faith. It is what differentiates our religion from any other religion. It is what has allowed it to stand the test of time for 2,000 years. It answers the questions of life, why we are all here, and what is it that we're supposed to do. It validates our faith. At the end of any other world religion, there are just more questions. At the end of the journey of our faith, we have those questions answered. The resurrection answers the question of basic logic and absolutes. 
If someone is right, well, everyone else must be wrong or everyone is wrong. But everyone saying different things, that doesn't mean that everyone can be right in a world of absolutes. And so if all religions are saying different things, then they all can't be right, can they? Only one can be right or everyone is wrong. And so if the resurrection happened, everything that Jesus said is true. But if the resurrection did not happen, nothing Jesus said is true. Without the resurrection, we have no faith. We would be gathering here today to celebrate a dead prophet. If he had not been raised from the dead, none of this would be here. And as we look to our passage today, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are misrepresenters of God. We are still dead in the trespasses in sin. Those that have gone before us in the faith are now perishing in hell. And we most of all would be pitied. We would be the laughing stock of society. Now, we're all familiar with the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? And uh, John, I hate to tell you this, but it's not Christmas, it's Easter. I get it, I know. So, but we know uh, George Bailey, right? And he has the opportunity to see what his life would be like if he did not exist and the impact that it would have on the community. And this is what Paul is doing here today in today's passage in 1 Corinthians 15. He is stating without the resurrection, this is what our faith would be. And so the resurrection is paramount. It is the pinnacle. It is the apex of our faith. And this is why we are here today. We are here to celebrate the resurrection. But Paul is going to walk us through these great consequences that would ensue if it were not for the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. And many would refer to this as the resurrection chapter because that's all Paul is talking about in this. And we're going to be in verses 12 through 20. 12 through 20. It says this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's come to before the Lord today in, in, in prayer as we celebrate this very special day. Lord, we are overjoyed to be here. In your church, 
to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is with great joy that we could look to this day as a hinge, as a foundation, as an apex of our faith. Because Jesus, you did indeed rise from the dead. And because of that, we are forgiven. We have been given life. We have been given life abundantly. We have been given eternal life. And Lord, because of that, we rejoice. We rejoice. We magnify and glorify your name above any other name today. And so God, hear our humble praise, our humble worship to you. God, allow your truth to just supersede all other things that this world has to throw at us. God, allow the truth of your word to permeate within our souls today. And God, may we leave here changed, transformed, drawing closer and closer to you each and every day of our life, Lord, because following after you is worth it. It's everything. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, as always, whenever we parachute into a passage, we have to give a little bit of background, a little bit of context as far as uh, what uh, Paul was trying to convey, who he was speaking to, uh, what were some of the ramifications of uh, the audience or uh, where he was at. And so we know that he was speaking to the church of Corinth, the Corinthians. And, and Corinth was actually 45 minutes away from the epicenter of philosophy, and that would be Athens. And so in a Greco-Roman worldview, they did not ascribe to a resurrection of the body. Well, they saw no use of it because they had this Gnostic dualism which really separated out the body from soul and spirit. And so they looked at the body as a tomb. There would be none, nothing of benefit to go back to this corpse. Okay, so they did ascribe to the afterlife and they really put all their stock and onus in, in that. And so when Paul was talking about the resurrection, uh, they were basically saying there's no need for a bodily resurrection because uh, this is the, the soul and spirit is where the things are at. And so, so as Christians, we also would ascribe to this. We would, look, we would not look at a dead body, uh, our, our corpse, as something to behold because we know when we transition from this life into the next, we are with the Lord. But there will be a resurrection of our bodies on the last of days. Now, when and where that happens, there's a lot of controversy over that. But there will be a bodily resurrection of our own bodies. And so, so with the Corinthians, this is what Paul was trying to convey. He was trying to say that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and this is of great importance, okay? So he was trying to sway them that the fact that he was resurrected is of great significance because they looked at it from the perspective of what's the big deal? Like that, that's not a big deal. We would never want to go back to our body. So this is where Paul is trying to take the church of Corinth and this is why he makes so many references to the dead being raised. And so, so as the book of 1 Corinthians crescendos here, this is chapter 14 leading into chapter 15, we could see that Paul is reaching back into some of his Hellenistic forms 
of argument. Now, it's Easter Sunday, so we're not going to lean into how we ascribe to Plato and Aristotle. That's extra reading for you guys, okay? So if you really want to lean into that. But he is taking some of those argumentative approaches and saying, we're going to convey to you a whole slew of negatives. And when you see all of these negatives, this is going to allow you to arrive at this place that we undoubtedly have this great need for the affirmation of the resurrection. And so this is where he's going. He's talking about seven negative ramifications, consequences, or penalties for our faith if there is no resurrection. And so, and this is very important. Because without Christ being raised from the dead, uh, we wouldn't have a faith. It's what holds everything together as far as our faith is concerned. It is the very air that we breathe as followers of Jesus. And so this is where we're going. The question is this. Where would we be without the resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, 13 states, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So that's our first point. Not even Christ would have been raised. If there's no resurrection, then Christ would still be dead in his tomb, correct? And this is of great significance because if Christ had not been raised from the dead, we would be able to visit his tomb. They would be able to exhume his skeletal remains. And this would be significant because Jesus Christ said, I will be raised from the dead in three days. I am the forgiver of sins. I am the son of God. I, have, I will do all of these things. But if he did not do those things, if we could go visit his tomb, if we could go visit his skeletal remains, then all of that would be a falsity. Here are his bones right before you. It would be the greatest spectacle of known man to say, Jesus Christ, the man who said all of these things, they never happen. But that's not the case. There is no body. There is no grave. There is a tomb, but his body is not there. And so we could look at all other world religions, and we could look at all other uh, sects or, or cults that have branched off, and we could ascribe to the fact that all of these leaders, all of these false messiahs or false prophets, they're all dead. We could look to this individual by the name of Siddhartha Gautama. Well, who would that be? That would be Buddha. You could visit his tomb. You could visit his grave. You could go uh, take a Mecca to Islam and, and visit the grave and the tomb of Muhammad. You could do the same with Confucius. Did you know that there were many messiahs that came after Jesus Christ. Many false messiahs that said, I am the messiah, ascribed to the fact it garnered many followers, but it was proved that they were not. Even shortly after Christ's life, death, resurrection, ascension in 135 AD, there's an individual by the name of Simon Bar Kokhba. And his significance was this. Remember Palm Sunday last week that the Jews wanted a messiah a valiant Messiah that would overthrow uh, the Roman occupation and deliver them. And so in 135 AD, the Simon Bar Kokhba did exactly that. And so he um, just created an uh, insurrection against the Romans. But here's the thing. Tragically, he died. And with him, 500,000 Jews also uh, were slaughtered. And so much later in the 1600s, there was a mass hysteria over an individual by the name of Shabbat Zvi. 
And, and many Jews believed that he was the Messiah. He was doing these perceived miraculous works. He was affirmed to be the Messiah by individuals within the church. And so there was mass hysteria over this individual. But it turns out that he did not even continue in Judaism. Eventually he converted to Islam. And he died in isolation and he died alone. And again, he died. That is the one thing that all of these individuals have in common. All these world leaders of world religions, leaders of world religions or what have you, they all have the same thing in common. They died. You could go visit their grave. You could go visit their tomb. And this is not the case with Jesus Christ. Why, why would we follow a, a dead Savior? Why, why would we follow after, give our praises and worship for a dead guy? That, that just is nonsensical. We follow a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 14, it says this. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Those are significant, weighty words. Our preaching and our faith is in vain. Let's cover the first one, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. This would mean that all of the apostolic teachings, all of God's word, every gospel message ever preached, every testimony of a changed life, every lesson ever taught in any Sunday school environment, any church-related environment, it would all be a big hoax. Me standing before you today, it's all a complete Fabrication. It's like going to a magic show, right? David Copperfield. And we would actually arrive there and say, oh my goodness, can you believe everything that David Copperfield is doing is true? Only at the end of that to say, it's a complete hoax. He, he did the trickery, he did the turn, and all of a sudden uh, we realize that it's all fabricated. That would be the equivalent of us showing up here believing a lie that all of this is real when it is nothing more than a fabrication. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, I will turn in my resignation tomorrow, right? Because there's so much better things we could be doing on a Sunday morning than just following after all of these fabrication and hoaxes. And so even more consequential that our preaching is in vain it says here that our faith is in vain. If Christ had not been raised, then our faith is in vain. It not only means that what we are saying right now is in vain, but you listening to me would be in vain as well. You are completely deceived. All, all we're talking about is some empty rhetoric that we could hang our hat on, and we're hanging our hat on a lie. In Hebrews it states, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Well, that would mean that there is nothing to hope for. That would mean that there's nothing in the heavenly realm to have a conviction over the things that are not seen. It would mean that we have nothing to consider. We have no faith. In the next area that... Paul really kind of dials in and hits home with. He takes it personal when he says, you will all be a false witness. If Christ had not been raised, then we are all false witnesses. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not 
raised. This means that the apostles are liars and perjurers. This would mean that you and I are liars and perjurers. Like the movie Elf, right? You, you sit on a mountain of lies, right? <laughs> Second Christmas reference today. But it means that you have been deceived and you are carrying out the deception and leading others astray. And I don't know about you, but I would hope at some point in our life of faith, we have taken a moment, we have taken some time and ascribed and thought through the fact of this. Are we being duped? Is all of this just a fabrication? Are we being led to believe something that is not true? That's a terrifying thought, is it not? There is a reason why many individuals, they leave certain religions and never come into a true saving faith is because they never want to be duped again. I mean, that's just common sense. But even more than that, we see an even more grave penalty or consequence here in number five. If Christ has not been raised, then we are still in our sins. We are still in our sins. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Well, what does that mean? That means that the judgment of God is still upon us. The wages of sin is death and our recompense is hell. No resurrection, no salvation, no saving work of the cross. Our sin killed him. Our death still holds his, and death still holds our Savior. Death still holds our Savior, and it still holds you. It still holds me. There is no advocate for our sins. We are still in our sins, and our payment is punishment. There is no advocate. There is no one to bail us out. We are still in our sins. And that, in of itself, again, is a terrifying thing to think about. Number six, if Christ has not been raised, then all Christians have perished. Before us, have perished. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This term, fallen asleep, refers to all those Christians that have gone beforehand in the faith and have died. It means that they're in heaven awaiting the time in which their body will be resurrected. Their soul and spirit is with God, with the Lord, but if Christ has not been raised, they have perished. Now, our text uses this word perished, but the Greek for that word is actually a much more significant word, apolume. And what does the word apolume mean? Well, it means utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. There is an eternal destruction in hell that is taking place. And what does that mean? That, that means any funeral that you or I have ever attended where the individual gets up there and says, they're in a much better place. They went home to be with the Lord. There is no more suffering. There is no more tears. That means that there now exists a horrible reality that none of that is true. That they are being punished in hell. Dead believers are damned. That would mean my, my grandmother, who on her dying bed 
That would mean when she woke up and, you know, going in and out of periods of, you know, lucidity and, and what have you, that would mean that when she told us and she was singing out loud in the clearest of voices and she said later that the room was full of angels. How amazing is that? Wouldn't that be a great way to go? But that would mean that all of that was just a mere hallucination of her mind. The seventh and final consequence, if Christ has not been raised, then we would be most, we are the most to be pitied. If Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What does this word pitied mean? Well, it means to be sorrowful over the misfortunes of others. It would mean that we would draw sympathy over our own pathetic condition. It means that we would be the laughing stock of all society. That people would say, why do you spend all this time? Why do you follow after this Lord? Why do you do all of these things when you could be enjoying all the pleasures of the world with us? What a joke. Don't you know that there is no resurrection? Because there's no resurrection, then, then you are following and living a lie. The world would look at us and say, what a wasted life. That's quite a list. If there is no resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. The words that I am saying in your faith is in vain. You are a false witness. You are still dead in the trespasses and sin. Those that have went before us are perishing in hell. And we most of all are to be pitied. Aren't you guys glad you came to church today? <laughs> Easter Sunday, uplifting message, right? But let's look at verse 20. What does verse 20 say? It says, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. But in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? Because of this, our preaching is not in vain. When you share the gospel, when we share the gospel, you carry the words of eternal life. Because of this, your faith is not in vain. Your faith is robust and vibrant. It is tethered to something that is sure and steadfast. Because of this, you are not a deceiver. In fact, you are not a false witness. You are a true witness, according to Acts 1.8. And you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You are no longer in debt to your sin. There is no longer a record of sin that hangs over you. There is no longer a millstone of death that will take you to the depths. For he who the Son has set free is free indeed. One day there will be a heavenly reunion with all of the believers that we have lost in the past. And we will rejoice in the glory of heaven and we will not be pitied. Romans 10, 11 states, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And this is why we celebrate 
This is why we are here at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you need more evidence than that? Because we could do this all day. We could look at the cosmological arguments that this universe demands a creator. The intricacies of our neural networks and the physiology between, uh, behind our, our bodies it does not ascribe to just a couple of carbon cells being rubbed together. And if this indeed is a creator that did all of this entire universe, you better believe that he has a will and purpose for our lives. What about the 450 messianic prophecies? which we talked about last week with the fulfillment of uh, just 85 of them being 10 to the 157th power, an astronomical number. Secular historians such as Josephus and Tacitus documenting the life and death of Jesus. They had no purpose to do that. They were not followers of Jesus Christ. How about the eyewitness accounts that Paul describes earlier in this chapter? Some 500 plus eyewitness accounts. What stands the strongest in a court of law? An eyewitness account. And it was just not one eyewitness account. It was over 500. If this existed today in a court of law, it would not even be a question that Jesus Christ had indeed been raised from the dead. How do you explain an explosion of Christianity between the first and third century, whereas before that, Christianity did not even exist? 2,000 years of church history meticulously documented all of these individuals living and dying, the martyrs, the countless martyrs over the centuries that have paid with their life. We could look at the inerrancy of our Bibles, the authorial inerrancy, and describe that and look back to the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are just complete validation that this is the word of God compared to the original manuscripts. And I would say a couple of things more. How do we explain the radical life change that exists in our life in Christ. Do you remember who we once were? Do you remember even ourselves or that individual that we know that was heading down a road of destruction? And all of a sudden, their life has been transformed. They follow after Jesus. They are on fire for the Lord. Why? No, nothing and no one can explain that. It is supernatural. This is validation of our faith. And this past week I came across a very profound quote regarding the martyrdom of the apostles. Why would the apostles all just live and die for a lie for 40 plus years? Why is that? And this one is going to be good for all the baby boomers out there, okay? Many of you may be familiar with Chuck or Charles Colson. And he was actually the first member of the scandal, the Watergate scandal with the Nixon administration. He was actually the first member of Nixon's administration to be indicted and incarcerated. He spent seven months in jail. And right before he went to jail, a friend of his gave him a book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He read it and he gave his life to Christ. And from that day forward, even in prison, he started a prison ministry. He led an amazing, fruitful life of ministry. You could read all about it. But he had this statement which I absolutely fell in love with in regards to the martyrdom of the apostles. He states this, I know the resurrection is a fact, 
And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I would agree with that. Absolutely impossible. I mean, that is truth just smacking us right in the face. The the truth is here. The verdict is in. And what will you do with this? What will we do with this? What will we do with the resurrection? We are told in one of the most well-known verses regarding what it means to be saved. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart in Romans. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The question is, have you done this? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you repented of your sins? Have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Because here's the thing. If you have not, you do not share in these liberties of the resurrection. Apart from Christ, the resurrection was in vain for you. And I asked a question earlier in the message that I just wanted to circle back to. Why is it that we're here? Why is it that you're here? Is it here to celebrate amongst a body of believers, the Lord's church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to give him all the praise, all the glory, all the majesty? Or are you here today because maybe someone invited you? A mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a friend, a co-worker, a husband or wife? Why are you here? Acts 17.31 states, Because he has set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. We all have a set day. We all have a date with destiny that is irrevocable, that is immutable. That means that it is set, it cannot be undone, that it is immutable, it cannot be changed. All sin will either be pardoned on the cross or it will be punished in hell. And apart from Jesus, your good works and our good deeds will not get us into heaven. It will be as if a a candle of good works is set before a jet engine before it takes off. Our good works are as if a, a, a sandcastle on a beach before a mighty tsunami overtakes it. Jonathan Edwards says this, 
Your wickedness makes you as if you are heavy as lead. And to tend downwards with great weight and pressure towards hell. And if God should let you go, you would immediately sink and swiftly descend and plunge into the bottomless gulf. And your healthy constitution and your own care and prudence and your best contrivance and all your righteousness would have no more influence to uphold you and keep you out of hell than a spider's web would have to stop a falling rock. There is no security found in of ourselves. Security in ourselves apart from Jesus Christ would be the equivalent of holding on to a spider's web. All of our good deeds are like filthy rags and polluted garments. So again, what will you do with the man who was raised from the dead and did everything that he said he would do? What will you do with Jesus? Today, for some, salvation is at hand. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's not by happenstance that you may be here today. Today is a set day. The day if you are lost, if you are not a follower of Jesus, today is the day that you are found. Today is the day that you start the best day of the rest of your life. You put to death the old man, the old woman, the old self, and you have a new life in Christ, his great love for you. He is the forgiver of sin. John 6.37 states, Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. My sheep know me. They know my voice. I give them the gift of eternal life, and no one can snatch them from my hand. And today... Today may be the day of salvation. Don't waste this day. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Today is the day that the Lord may be calling you into a relationship with him. Today may be the day that the Lord is calling you to step into the man or woman of God that you have been created to be. But in order to do that, you have to take a step. Maybe it's even a literal step. Go ahead and stand as we sing this last song. And if you would like to do that today, we'd like to make that available. Or even if you need some prayer, I'll be down here. Some of us will be down here. And as we sing this last song, let's give Jesus Christ the most deserved praise and glory for what he has done on the cross.